Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's also this pervasive feeling sometimes that humans are not doing good for the planet. And if that was true, then the planet would not have invested so much in the emergence of human beings. Another way of viewing the ecological crisis is that the planet has sacrificed a lot for human beings to reach the level of creativity that they have. So we're performing an important function, which is the creation of more complex systems, which is making super beautiful art, which is making really great music, which is perhaps going to space. There's a lot of things that humans can do that other animals can't. Welcome to the show. My name is Shantae Generally, and I am the host as well as a mindset coach, author, and mentor. On this episode, we're going to switch it up a bit. We're going to be talking about our ecosystem, climate change. We're talking about sustainable business, nature-based climate solutions. We also talk about how spirituality plays an important role. And so I'm glad that you're here tuning in for this episode. We're going to be talking with the CEO of Earthshot Labs. And before we dive in, I do want to take a moment to welcome each and every last one of you personally and extend an open invitation for you to come back again and again. And if you have not had a chance to subscribe to the show, I'm going to ask that you take a moment and hit that subscribe button that way you won't miss an episode once I upload a show I asked the question what can we do to do our part and the CEO gives me his opinion I also share with you what is it that we're doing in our family to help to do our part when it comes to taking care of our planet and helping to preserve it Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive on into today's episode I am introducing to you the CEO of Earthshot Labs, and this is a company that is transforming the carbon market through a holistic strategy for scalable ecosystem restoration. This company is all about restoring nature, and we do have an awesome conversation for you. Let's go ahead and dive on in. Please welcome the CEO of Earthshot Labs, Troy Carter, to Authentic Talks. Authentic Talks is all about authentic conversations. This show is all about growth, love, respect, success, mind, body, and spirit. If you're looking to grow and become your authentic self, then this is the podcast for you. And I am your host, Shantae. Welcome to the show. Hi, Troy. Welcome to Authentic Talks. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, can I have you introduce yourself to our listeners, please? For sure. So, I mean, little background myself. My name's Troy. My work is I'm the co-founder and CEO at a company called Earthshot Labs. And Earthshot Labs is building the technology for planetary scale ecological regeneration. So the planet's in a bit of a climate and ecological crisis, if you haven't noticed. Oh yeah, we noticed. so, So we're doing something about it and we're trying to do something about it at a very large scale. Prior to Earthshot Labs, I was a co-founder at a company called Rhizome, which is another climate company pioneering the use of bamboo-engineered lumber as a climate-positive building material and doing large-scale reforestation. 
How did you come to a place where this became your passion? I don't know that it ever became passion. Um, I, I sort of think like, you know, ask any 14 year old right now and they'll be like, yeah, we've got an ecological problem. We should probably do something about it. I think that's always been my orientation is also just a love of nature for its own sake. Even if there wasn't a climate crisis, we would still have a responsibility as humans to steward the rest of nature in a way that is very beautiful. And I would say we're not doing the best job of that. So, you know, my background has been across the board, everything from project finance and raising a lot of money for renewable energy and ag projects to, you know, starting my own company, selling it after a couple of years to, you know, as an early employee at Airbnb, went to Stanford and also, you know, spent seven years out in the jungle in Hawaii running retreats with my wife. You know, it's, it's a little bit across the board. Talk to me a little bit more about bamboo. So Rhizome is doing something pretty cool. Basically wood, steel, and concrete make up a major impact on ecosystems. So steel and concrete make up like 17% of carbon emissions and there's more than 18 million acres of deforestation every year. So clearly we need to do something about that. And one of the scalable solutions that we have is using bamboo instead of wood, steel, and concrete in order to make plywood and other construction materials. It's actually a climate positive material, which means it draws down more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere than it emits. And so it's a really great example of a scalable solution for climate change that anyone can be involved in just by buying more sustainable wood products. In terms of Earthshot, Earthshot's more like, it's a company that we only started in the last year. And it was really due to some of the systemic challenges we saw with reforestation through Rhizome. And is, is a bit of more of a, a systemic or addressing some of the, the deeper challenges that uh, our economic system faces. Bamboo, does that even grow here in the United States? Or is that something where they'd have to ship that from another country? Totally. So not that much bamboo grows in the United States. We operate in the Philippines, which has the biggest bamboo in the world. And then we ship products to the U.S., which isn't, honestly, it's not super sustainable to ship products all around the world. But we've got to start from somewhere. In the ideal scenario, 10 years from now, there will be regional bamboo economies all around the world in Bangladesh, in West Africa, in Central America that are able to provide regenerative building materials for the people where they are. Um, in the short term, we're building a sophisticated supply chain, just like any lumber company, to bring the you know, level of quality and scale needed to actually go be price competitive with wood and be at the same level of quality so that we can build really large buildings out of it. There's a lot of people, including myself, obviously we care about our planet. What would that look like? I'm literally sitting here trying to picture this because right now we have a, we had like a housing crisis where there was like a housing shortage and then there was shortage of the products and all that. And then it caused the prices to go up. Why don't people start buying the bamboo if it's comparable? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the answer is it's just new. It's a small supply chain. We're totally sold out. There's not another company making it. The construction industry is huge. This is a multi-trillion dollar industry that consumes a lot of stuff. And we have a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction 
of production of over, overall construction usage. So it's just not available. And you know we're doing our best at scaling up as quickly as possible, but we need a thousand different companies implementing solutions like this. And it takes a lot of teams, a lot of time to make the iterative changes that we need for right relationship with nature. You guys are sold out of everything right now? Yeah. I mean, for, for Rhizome, we are. And that's just because it's a small production and, uh, you know, existing customers take up all the demand. But in 2022, we'll start taking on new customers. Now that you have all of our attention and we're understanding that like earth is important, this is where we live, you know. <laughs> News flashed, earth is where right. we live and it's important. <laughs> so yeah. Just in case anybody didn't know that, you know, a lot of us, you know, a lot of people kind of don't really get the importance of like the earth, you know, so that's why it's important for you to be here spreading your message, because I think that no one one listening to this podcast has any doubt. Right, right. I wish I had an easy solution for you Uh because we're dealing with very large issues like climate change is big. The consequences are going to be really dramatic that is sort of mind boggling, like trillions of dollars in sort of like economic losses, potentially hundreds of millions of climate refugees from low-lying areas like Bangladesh or flood-prone areas. And just in terms of of biodiversity loss, like the thousands or tens of thousands or millions of species that are going extinct, like that's, it's really severe. And so what can we do to address something that's so big? There's a framework that I really like to reference in how we actually go address this. And it's not to provide a specific solution, but just a way to think about the problem without getting overwhelmed. So the first level of change is you give the man a fish, right? And the man eats for a day. Like that's, that's a pretty known form of, you know, we call it charity. You give someone that's, that's sort of like our everyday action, using a glass water bottle or, you know, recycling or little things that we do to help out. Then there's sort of the next level, which is you teach a man how to fish, right? So you, this sort of empowerment, maybe this is microfinance for rural farmers in, you know, central Africa, ways of giving people the ability to have regenerative livelihoods or other ways of you know empowerment and these are sort of the the scope of what existing philanthropy does or what individual actions do the last two layers are a bit bigger one is the systemic layer so what earthshot labs is working on is are systemic solutions to economic incentives. So why why is there ecological destruction? What are we doing that actually causes that? Whether it's mining, whether that's fossil fuels, whether that is land use changes to cattle and soybeans or urbanization patterns that don't really make sense where we're just suburban sprawling everywhere. Why is it so hard for this fisherman just to make a living when there's no more fish in in the region of the ocean where he's fishing? So that's like systemic challenges. And that's where you really need an organization or a government or a business to address. And also where we use our time, like what is our career that impacts the systems that we're a part of? The last layer is a bit more ambiguous. It's sort of the narrative level. Like what is it about the human belief system and our culture that has caused an ecological crisis anyway? What is our sense of self that has promoted survival or has promoted my own individual well-being over the well-being of the whole. And so we're, we're coming into a cultural time as well, where we really have to ask the question like, hey, is our, is our culture optimizing for the right variables? And well, if we're causing an ecological collapse with the way we view ourselves and our family and our communities and the world, then, then maybe not. There might need to be some changes in culture. And 
part of that is an individual spiritual journey of recognizing you are a part of life, right? You are deeply and intimately connected with all of life on the planet and more. And part of it is just a cultural framework that acknowledges the, the truth of what a human being is and the deeper layers of being that bring compassion and, and open-heartedness and connection with other people and connection with non-human beings. And that all these felt layers of change from charity and empowerment and system change and the narrative, they all sort of feed back into each other. So you can sort of view every action in your life in that framework of like, what am I doing to address these layers? And I, I find that very useful. Right now we're separating things, you know, we still buy plastic, mm-hmm. but we're like separating them, trying to do recycling of our kids, little stuff like that. Buying plastic, I buy plastic too, you know, I admit it. Ooh, I'm, I'm buying plastic. <laughs> and that's one of the issues is that it's a systemic issue. Where does our food come from? Well, it comes from farms far away mm-hmm. that are packaged in plastic that we buy from stores. That hasn't always been the case. A hundred years ago, well, you just ate the food that you grew or that grew around you. We're going to have to adopt some of these, the way things have been done to eliminate things like plastic because plastic is pretty bad. And we're, we're seeing some major implications for sea mammals, for you know, all levels of life on earth. It's just an example of like, it's really hard for an individual to change systems like that. But what we can do, one is ask the question, like, am I working on things that matter to me? Am I a part of a company or is my work in alignment with what I really believe? And if it's not, you know, maybe change the company that you're in or change your career focus. Like, actually, I really care about the sustainability of the organization that I'm a part of. That's one level to directly address like, hey, there should be alternatives to plastic. So we need to go build those alternatives. When you talk about sustainable business, what does it take to to create that? It's a great you guys, question. You have a business. You guys are kind of new starting out with the business. How can you ensure that in one year from now that the bamboo products that you're bringing over will still be available if someone became your customer and they wanted you to do more for them? you know, than what the first business transaction. I mean, there's so many layers to what a sustainable business is. And I think in general, business is going through a bit of a revolution that we don't know what the future looks like in terms of governance, in terms of how organizations work, in terms of who owns the business. Do the employees own the business? Do the founders own the business? Do shareholders from some other part of the country and pension funds own the business? There's a lot of things, honestly, that we have to experiment with. And one of the things that we're doing, so we're raising a $5 million round right now for Earthshot. And one of the things we're doing is offering non-voting shares so that actually most of the investors won't have any say in what we do. And I think that's because we want the option to maintain a level of radical open sourcedness and ecological integrity that we might not otherwise be able to maintain if there was shareholder pressure with other incentives. So purpose-driven businesses, I think, are able to attract much smarter, much more passionate and heartfelt people. And so long-term, you know, businesses with with purpose sort of will win. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we do have to set some good models. And there are very few models of businesses that I really, really admire. And I wish there were some that I could just point names to and say, I really love what these guys are doing. And honestly, there aren't. 
but I know it's possible. It's just, it's a new crop of companies that are starting now that really can embody that. And you're right. There's not like a lot of companies and this is new. And I love that you're bringing an awareness, tugging me and reminding me. You just forget. And that's natural. You know, people want to live their lives and we do. We live individual lives. We live lives with our families, with our relationships. And it's not everyone's job to be thinking at the systemic levels or narrative levels. It's it's just not everyone's job. (laughs) But for sure, it's part of my job because the systems that we design have real implications for real people. You know, like, hey, if we create different incentive structures, well, then guess what? You know, ecology is going to thrive or we're going to deforest the entire planet, right? Just based on economic incentives. So someone's got to think about this. That's so true. I'm glad that you're thinking about it. But we can escape it by going to space. And so (laughs) it's really just like, well, what do we want to do while we're here? For me, what's really important is that it's fun. That solving really hard, big problems is just fun. And that we get to hang out with people that are super smart, but that the process is nourishing at every level where we're not, we're not martyrs. We're not sacrificing anything to work on this. We're actually doing it because it's fun and because it's an interesting problem and because we care, because we're in love with the natural world. We want to see it continue in a really beautiful way. Humans are awesome. There's also this pervasive feeling sometimes that humans are not doing good for the planet. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And if that was true, then the planet would not have invested so much in the emergence of human beings, right? The planet has invested, like, another way of viewing the ecological crisis is that the planet has sacrificed a lot for human beings to reach the level of creativity that they have. So we're performing an important function, which is the creation of more complex systems, which is making super beautiful art, which is making really great music, which is perhaps going to space. There's a lot of things that humans can do that other animals can't. We just need to go about doing those really awesome things in a way that doesn't destroy ecosystems along the way. It's just not necessary. I mean, I just I just want to ping on the consciousness of animals for a second. Uh-huh. It's amazing. Right. Animals are amazing. And sometimes we sort of like, we don't give them a lot of credit. Like animals must be stupid because they don't have big, big, big brains, right? Like not like humans who can do all this cool stuff. So animals must be sort of disposable, except maybe our cute pets because they serve us. But animals are really neat. And so are other forms of life. Also, one of the realizations on a, on any sort of spiritual path or spending time in nature is that like the core realization is that you are nature, right? Like you are universal consciousness being expressed through individuated beings that have sort of like separate nodes of consciousness. Like that's the, that's sort of like one of the spiritual sort of like big bang uh, moments. Mm -hmm. And so what are animals then? Animals are you and they're, they're very beautiful creatures expressing their nature. And the belief that, or the, the understanding that the brain 
probably functions more like a filter than it does as the creator of consciousness, right? Consciousness is a, is a field that we are a part of. And so to view animals actually as smarter than we are, or as so in tune with their nature that they're not, they're not blocking themselves from fully expressing their nature in any way. And it's just a very beautiful thing. So I, I really think that it's an integral part of the human experience to connect with non-human nature and realize that we are intimately connected with the rest of life. And when you have that moment, when you realize I am life and I am intimately connected with all other parts of life, then there's sort of no way to continue ecological destruction, right? And like suddenly you are committed. And that is a level of growth that we need to go through as a culture is to fall in love with nature. And it'll happen at some point. Once sort of like, you know, maybe your grandma dies or something, you realize, wow, I really loved my grandma. I didn't realize it until she died. Maybe that will have to happen for for us to fall in love with nature as well. But I hope we won't get quite that far. You're out there in nature. It was beautiful on the outside there. Your, your mountains, the trees. I live in Arizona. So here I get a lot of desert, you know? So whenever I get a chance to see that, I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. I have to go all the way up north to get like the feeling of foresty or yeah. the nature like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the desert is also a special place, right? To realize probably in the region that you've been, people have been living there for tens of thousands of years, maybe, and have found ways of occupying an ecological niche. And I mean, nature does exist in the city. It just, it looks different. And I totally agree that that access to truly wild, untouched places is something that every human should experience mm-hmm. um, and and it's just great it feeds a part of this that at least for me doesn't get fed in cities did you mention that you do retreats yeah so for for most of the time on hawaii i you know led retreats and experiences for people mostly i would say around community around relationship around contact with nature sometimes more like medicine ceremonial retreats and like ayahuasca yeah similar oh, okay. same same vein yeah and that's that's also a whole area like what does ayahuasca do anyway one thing for people who haven't tried it one thing that it does is reestablishes a visceral connection to nature right for you to realize that you are a part of something that you intrinsically belong in life you intrinsically deserve to be alive and that it's a total gift to be alive sort of anchors that as a felt sense in the body rather than as an idea because we can walk around with ideas that are very spiritually woke but the reality is like it's really much nicer to feel that that is really true Mm -hmm. and uh, it can give an experience of feeling deep belonging where that is intimately deeply true what were some of your favorite places when you were in hawaii to have your retreats Mm -hmm. is on the same island? island Which one is that? Is that Hanau? The island of Hawaii for the last seven years. Um, The island of Hawaii. And uh, it's a very special place. I mean, all the islands are very special. I would say like they're they're totally singular, like these volcanoes out in the middle of the ocean with such extreme nature that you you can't fall under the illusion that this is just a human game. Like it's clearly a non-human game 
Mm -hmm. you know, the ocean, the whales, the dolphins, the trees, the wind, you know, the lava, you know, many friends of mine had their house covered up by lava a couple years ago. And it's just, you know, this tangible awe for the natural world. So do you recommend that everyone, if you have an opportunity to go to Hawaii and visit at least once? Uh, I don't know that I want to make that recommendation. What I, okay. what I do recommend is that people find a place that they love near them and that they can go to every day, maybe, that they establish a relationship with the place. Because it's hard to have a relationship with a place that you see once. Um, mm-hmm. You sort of consume a place when you see it once. But to actually give back to a place, you have to know it. You have to know what it wants. And what does the forest want from the humans? Well, it's not entirely clear unless you spend a lot of time there. And maybe one thing is it really wants to be appreciated. Like it wants to be seen and appreciated and acknowledged for being there. And maybe this is anthropomorphism and forests don't want anything. But in my experience, there is a level of reciprocity with the humans for non-human nature and that the rest of nature can deeply appreciate that the humans exist. So when you're talking about spirituality and then you're talking about like your business, nowadays I find that more of the people that I'm meeting or, you know, they're more spiritual versus being like super religious. And so like, how do you bridge the two, the, the spirituality and your business, like yeah. bringing them together? Such, such a good question. The easy answer is, I don't know. But the, the next level of answer is like, they're not really that different. And I think that they have been different, right? They have been these clearly distinct categories of life experience. There's work and there's life, right? Work-life balance, like these are clearly separate things. And, and I don't believe that that's true. Like my work is not separate from my life. It's an integral part of who I am, what my purpose in life is, what my gifts are, who I get to interact with, who I, who I love and form deep relationships with. You know, work is, it can be like a central part of life and that it can also be a a vehicle for growth, for personal growth, for growth as a culture. And that's that's sort of an ambitious goal, right? Like it's maybe not everyone's goal in business. Like maybe you just want to start a pizza shop to pay the bills and that's totally okay. For me, I've also done that. Like I've worked at other companies where I was like, yeah, I'm actually just here for a paycheck. And that's the reality. But right now I do have the freedom and the luxury and many other people do as well to choose what they want to work on. Not everyone does, right? It is, it's totally a privilege to choose what you can work on. But if you have that privilege, which is actually, I'm not under severe financial strain or I don't have specific obligations that that really require me to work in, you know, just the jobs that are offered me or when I have the legal status to be able to go do sort of whatever I want uh, in this country. Once we have that privilege, we can choose what to work on. So we might as well choose to work on something that is fun, that is meaningful, that we'd want to work on for a long time and with people that we really care about. So that's what we're doing at Earthshot is we are defining And we're working on a very large problem, which is climate change and ecological restoration. And we're doing it in a way that we think is totally awesome and brilliant and novel and fun. What else does that do? To me, it it assists in your joy. What tip can you leave or drop a tool, something that can help 
people who are interested in everything that you're talking about? Like, how can they get started with what can they do? Yeah. The first step is just awareness of what you really want and just awareness of what you want. Like, do you want a different career? Do you want a different relationship? Do you want something or is, is, is everything you're in your life in alignment with what you really want? And if it is awesome, keep going. And if it's not, there's an opportunity to change. So it doesn't have to be something specific. It'll be different for everyone. I do believe that everything you need in order to make any change in your life will come. And like life is highly supportive when you know what you want and open yourself up to receiving what you actually want. And maybe that's highly optimistic, but optimism helps. <laughs> optimism <laughs> yes. really helps. You definitely need that. You can't be on the, uh, the other side for a long period of time. How can people connect with you if they want to know yeah. more? The easiest is to come to our website, earthshot.eco. And there you can sign up for the newsletter. There's a whole bunch of different ways to engage with our work and the climate crisis in general and technological solutions and nature-based solutions. If you're a scientist or someone who wants to actually contribute their software development skills or technology skills, we have a Slack channel uh, that you can access on the website. There's a community of more than a thousand people developing technology tools for nature-based climate mitigation. And if you're an investor, you can also invest. We run in sort of an open equity company, which means that right now it's only open to accredited or sort of higher net worth individuals, but probably in a few months, we'll open it up to everyone. Uh, just due to SEC regulations, it's not easy to take investments from everyone, but we, we're, we're working on it. And um, we believe deeply that everyone should financially benefit from ecological restoration, whether that's indigenous or rural people all around the world, or whether it's, it's people you know, making a change here. And uh, so we're also providing that opportunity. So go to earthshot.eco and um, or I'd happy, be happy to email me directly if there's clear opportunity for collaboration. What is your email address? Troy at earthshot.eco. I would love to know like how it turns out like in a year. Like I I'm like it. I'm also looking forward to seeing what it'll be like in a year. It's growing very quickly. There's so much cultural will and movement towards addressing climate change right now. It's super exciting so we have a lot of momentum there's a lot of people very excited about what we're doing and that's why we're spreading word right now and humans have had a massive impact on global ecology in ways that have caused changes that are greater than any we've seen in history and so we're going to be seeing some extreme weather events over the coming decades you know for example you're in arizona it was really hot in arizona the last couple weeks and it's going to probably get hotter. And maybe if it doesn't get hotter, maybe there will be more extreme temperature changes. So, and just to be clear, even if there wasn't a climate crisis, even if temperatures were perfect and balmy all year round, nature is still worth preserving and enhancing for its own sake, just because it's cool, because it's beautiful, because it's, it also deserves to exist. And so we don't need to just use just say oh climate crisis is done now we can cut down all the trees again no we are using the climate crisis as an excuse to preserve nature for its own sake because we think it's awesome 
think it's awesome. You're right. It absolutely is. Was that last year that we had like all those fires and it was the rainforest, Amazon, the Amazon. rainforest. Was there, there were a lot of fires in the Amazon. And right now there's quite a lot of fires everywhere. It's yeah. pretty dry year. I've heard that like we're able to create weather patterns. I mean, have you heard anything like that? And what is your belief about that? Honestly, weather is super complex. Like the atmosphere is pretty big and the humans don't understand how weather is created very well. So anything that we're trying to do to geoengineer weather is going to have some unintended consequences and we don't understand what those are. So I think the best strategy is restoring nature, letting it do its thing and bring itself back into balance. But humans are not, and, and I'm saying this, having assembled the best team of artificial intelligence and machine learning people in the world doing ecological modeling, we don't know how it works. And so knowing what I know about the limits of technology to model ecosystems, we can't rely on reductionistic methods to, I mean, we, we can help. Like we can make models that are good enough to predict a lot of things and help a lot of land use changes. But we won't be able to predict all the unintended consequences of geoengineering or other, other, other technological yeah. solutions. I love that you shared your opinion on that. And yeah, if anyone's listening, just to determine what you really want, go for it. And uh, if you want any help, we've got a great community at, on the Earthshot, Earthshot Slack channel if you ever want to get into the climate. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for hanging out with me and for sharing, you know, and reminding us all that, you know, we, we all have a part in this and we should care about where we live. Nice. Thanks okay. so much. All of the information for Troy is located in the show notes. I want you to think about what it was that you were able to take away from the show. And I would love to hear from you. Give me your feedback. I'm taking away a few words that Troy shared that are near and dear to me that I talk about a lot. And two of them start with the letter A. The first one is awareness. Then there was alignment and supportive. Those are my words that I'm going to take with me from this episode and add them. They're already in my toolbox and they should be in yours as well. And it was just a nice reminder of how important our planet is as well. And a reminder for those of us who do love nature and feel that connection when we're in nature, that we definitely do have a responsibility to take care of our planet. I hope that you found value in this episode. Please share with family and friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm sending you all tons of positive energy. And until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Shantae with Authentic Talks. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.